Yep, you know I'm geeked up. Swizzle here, Monday the 16th of May, and Dan's going to make the face, but I am glowing in the aftermath of what was a fantastic Game 7 in the world's most famous arena last night, a New York Ranger team that refuses to quit. Moving on to the Carolina Hurricane this Wednesday, which should be a great series. A lot of bylines to talk about, of course, as Dan knows, Tony D'Angelo, Derek Stepan, Jesper Fast, um, and some others that played for the Rangers. And it's going to be a great series. Sorry, Dan. No, this dude. is Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. I mentioned that. Joined by Dan Nathan. And in just a few brief minutes, as if minutes can be anything but brief, Carter Braxton Worth will be joining us from Worth Charting. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow and powered by Open Exchange. You can catch them at Open Exchange TV on the Twitter. Hello, Dan. Hey, guy, you, you deserve to be glowing. I think you called it on market call when the Rangers were down three to one. You said they're going to win this series. It was going to come back to seven at MSG. And I got to tell you, that goal in overtime, any angle that you looked at it, that 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 puck should not have gone into the goal. I, was there any sunlight that you could see, Guy Dami? I mean, That's it was like what a miracle. We call, Dan, that's what they call a goal scorer's goal. No, there was no daylight whatsoever. Amazing. But Artemi Panarin, who, by the way, had a miserable game up until that point, yeah. uh, made up for it in spades, as they say, with the game winner in seven, moving on, Penguins going home. Yeah. Pull out your clubs there, people. Golf clubs, that is, because <laughs> that's what you're going to be enjoying over the next few months. All right. Well, guys, speaking of not seeing daylight, what about all of these strategists that were looking for 5,100, 5,500 mm -hmm. at the end of the year in the S&P 500? It seems like they're tripping over each other to kind of lower their targets. One of the things, and we've been talking about this on Market Call, I think for weeks, Guy, that until we see strategists and analysts cut their expectations that are about 10% per fact set, and we've been quoting our main man, John Butters, um, he's been giving us the data and his earnings insight blog uh, every week on Friday. We preview it here on Thursdays. They just have not been budging those estimates. And so we've seen the price come down. And when you think of what a PE is, right, it's the price divided by the earnings. They're probably still too high mm -hmm. if you are in the camp that earnings have to come down. If strategists have to capitulate on their estimates, you've been talking about what's the right multiple. If you throw 17 on maybe low single digits earnings growth for the S&P 500, that gets you to a range of about 3,500 to 3,750, which is you've been targeting 3,750 on the downside. A 3,500 overshoot would not be hard to get. And let me tell you something. I really feel like as we're in the back half of this second quarter now, guy, we're going to start seeing these estimates come down because one thing analysts and strategists don't like to do is they don't like to look silly after the fact when it seemed very apparent that estimates should be coming down. Well, I'd like to welcome our friends from Goldman Sachs. Clearly, they have been tuning into Market Call over the last few months because it's odd how the math seems to line up with everything we've been saying. Good for them to finally acquiesce, as it were. There's a Q and a C in that word. And to sort of come around <laughs> to our way of thinking, uh, you look at this tweet from Lisa Bromowitz. This is Lori Calvacina from RBC. And she's saying a lot of the things that we're saying. The 3850, that was the low, the recent low last week, 3858 to be exact. Not that that's important. 3200, I mean, that would be catastrophic, I think, for a lot of people. And I don't think we're necessarily going to get there. I thought the overshoot would be maybe 3500, 3550, but we'll see. And obviously, Morgan Stanley talking as well. Mike Wilson has been on our show a number of times on CNBC's Fast Money. The bottom line here is this math matters. 
And in a rising interest rate environment where the Fed is no longer backstopping the market, valuations matter. And this 17 multiple on potentially, you know, it's somewhere between 215 and $225 of earnings gets us to the levels we've talked about. Now, we saw a bounce last week, I think deservedly so. You actually bought some stuff last week. It was a spot on right move because you saw the rally on Friday. And quite frankly, I think the market's holding in there okay today. And I still think you have a few days of rally left, but I still think, to me at least, um, the directional of this market is lower still. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. And, and I think we talked about on Thursday on the market call why I was kind of picking at a couple of things, in particular QQQ. I just think that no one's going to be able to nail the bottom. You know, Lori Calvacina, she does really good work and she's actually been very cautious as a strategist for the better part of the last six to nine months. So is Mike Wilson, who was up there. Um, another friend of ours, who's also, I, I think, a fine strategist and, and she shows up on our Thursday market call, is our friend Liz Young from SoFi. Mm -hmm. And Liz had a chart this morning that she tweeted out, guy, I thought that was kind of interesting. And listen, all indications by, I guess, bulls and bears are like, you know what, this 3,500 seems to be a level where a lot of investors should be very interested. She threw up a chart. This is from Bloomberg. It shows going back to the 80s, I guess the uh, mid 80s, the 200 week moving average, not something quoted too frequently. But if you look though, Guy, in 2011, that's where um, we bottomed out. In 2016, we bottomed out at the 200 week moving average. So it served as support. And then again, in 2018. We briefly sliced through it in 2020. But if you look where that is right now, guy, it's almost remarkably close to the pre-pandemic high near 3450 or so, which you and I have been kind of targeting, you know, you by doing the math 3750, me seeing more and more important sectors coming back to their pre-pandemic highs. It feels like we're going to have a range, guy, like a five to 10% range, maybe 3400, 3700, where we bottom out. But again, you and I are proponents of dollar cost averaging into quality because we know, and we're going to hit the dollar, we're going to hit rates, we're going to hit peak margins, all these sorts of things later on in this market call here. Um, but these are the sorts of things that will move estimates lower. And just going to our chart on the third uh, on the S&P 500 guy, going back to the start of 2020, we've kind of drew, drawn the, that sort of support level. It's the Feb 2020 high and the September 2020 um, high. And those, that little zone there that gets you somewhere between, I don't know, the midpoint is 3,500. Speak to that chart, if you will, guy. No, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, I'm interested, you know, 200 day, 200 weeks is sort of short of four years, sort of like my yeah. college career, but whatever, I'm sure it is meaning. But to Liz's point, if you look, we've done a back and fill to the 200 week moving average a number of times. And that's going to obviously with each passing day going to raise in terms of price. But again, it lines up with 3,500, which lines up with exactly what you drew here in terms of these levels of support, where we've been, where we failed at and where we subsequently held. It all makes a lot of sense. Oh, uh, by the way, and now you have a sloping to the downside moving average, which is not particularly bullish. So it all really makes a lot of sense. And I think that's where we're headed. And I got to tell you something, Dan, I don't think that's catastrophic by any stretch. Yeah. And I think that sort of sets us up again. I've been saying it for a while for a great half of next year. Before we bring in CBW quickly, question for you from the audience, Dan. Um, I don't think we suggest or recommend anything, but I'll use the word that they use. Do you suggest QQQ options in the form of calls 
or just the shares outright, given your thesis that yeah. maybe we're in for a bit of a bounce here? Well, that, that's a great question. Let, let, let's go to this NASDAQ 100 chart, right? So the QQQ is the ETF that tracks it there. And you know, on Thursday, when I started picking at it, we talked about it on Market Call, and I have not bought the QQQ in a very long time. Now, I own funds that actually have similar sort of exposure, but that's not something I ever look at or anything like that. At the time, at the lows on Thursday, the NASDAQ 100 was down 30% from those highs. I still believe at some point, it probably bottoms out down 40%. That gets you to kind of that range guy that we have down there, right? Between, you know, 10,000 and 11,000. Again, I'm not going to be able to pick the lows, but right now I might kind of be on autopilot, um, you know, dollar cost averaging as we go in. So I don't love, you know, the options, using options right now to reflect a long-term view. But if you feel like we get really oversold, like we did on Thursday, and you want to play for a short-term move, that makes some sense defining your risk and what you're willing to lose using options to do that makes a lot of sense. Guy, real quickly, here's one from you. This is from your, your co-host here. It's not even, we don't have to troll the internet. Look at this Apple chart. Yes, You've been calling please. for 138, the October low. It nearly got there to the penny on Thursday. We've had this little bounce, but just as I had been saying that 150 level, as you had, you said, if it slices through there, right, the March low, we probably go right back to that October low. So now do we have to readjust that thinking? Is 140, as Amanda writes on this fine beautiful fact set chart. Is that the new 150? Are there lower lows to come? If we break through 140 to the downside, are we going to see that 125-ish or so level? That's that low from last summer. You know, I heard somebody from, from one of Tom Lee's people from Fundstrat, I believe on Thursday on the OT, talking about the potential for, you know, somewhere between 110 and 115 in terms yeah. of Apple. And I, you know, I, I got to tell you something, if Apple were to trade there, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the S&P will be trading 37.50 or lower than that. You know, 138.80 is where Apple traded down to on Thursday. We talked about it. It subsequently bounced. The S&P traded down to 38.58. We obviously talked about that a number of times. I thought it was enough in the short term to get a bounce, and here we are. But if we somehow meander at these levels and we don't have a meaningful bounce in Apple, like yeah. we've seen a number of times since January... Then one has to say, you know, maybe again, valuation is clearly coming into question and maybe the broader market isn't done. So I think Amanda is spot on to point out that now 140 <laughs> is the new 150. Great job by A. Diaz, by the way. She's quick. Hey, listen, guy, we're getting this week started off. Um, we're a little late on our timing, our rundown. Amanda said, bring Carter in. I at know. Oh, I apologize. Let's, I had to ask no, a question. No, no. no. Let's, let's bring Carter right in and let's hit the rates. We're definitely going to hit con consumer discretionary and staples and a couple earnings in the space. What's up, Carter Braxton? Man, man. Yes, bring me in. <laughs> bring me in. How are you, buddy? All right. Worth charting. Worth charting. We're going to pump that at the end of this segment here, but we're going to get to your note this morning that you sent out, um, which I thought was really interesting comparing uh, staples and discretionary. And you have um, a pretty good take on that. But real quickly, Guy Adami, let's talk about rates, the reversal we had on Thursday. And Carter, maybe you'll like my chart. Maybe you won't on the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield here. But Carter, you know, or, or, or guys, speak to me what happened last week in rates. It got 320 in the 10 year. We hadn't been there since 2018. That was the time in which the S&P 500 went down 20% in a straight line. The Fed had to pivot. 
What's this chart saying to you? We had that crazy breakout above 2%, went straight to 3%. What happens now? And then, Carter, your take on the chart. I think bond vigilantes, as they say, or bond bearishness, maybe it exhausted itself in the short term. And it makes sense. And as I've said, you know, in a market that potentially could decline, I thought you'd see a flight to quality in the form of bonds, which would make yields go down. What it says to me, though, in getting into the fundamentals, as Carter would say, is that effectively the bond market's broken. I mean, we saw a 30 basis point move in 10-year yields in the course of a day and a half. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, obviously, the higher the rates go, uh, the less meaningful 30 basis points becomes. But what I'll tell you is bond market's broken. It's trading like a biotech ETF or a $150 million biotech stock. What do I think is going to happen here? I still think yields are the trajectory is higher, but in the short term, I think you could see the 10 year all the way back down to 275, especially if I think what's going on is in fact going on. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, look, we know the dollar's stretched, we know yields are stretched. And the most important thing about the sequence, and there's no way around this, right, is that the 2018 highs from autumn around October, early November, this current move, as good as it was, we never got above the 2018 highs on the two-year, the five-year, the 10-year. And starting to back off just um, over the past three to five sessions. And the dollar is slipping a little bit. Uh, I think yields lower, dollar lower. Carter, I will mention, because this is what I do, the green in your tie matches perfectly the green in charting and worth right. charting. And, you know, something that seemingly has been in the green. Look at that segue. <laughs> oh, Consumer really? Consumer discretionary. I mean, a lot no, of- No, no, no. Guy, guy, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, my on. jumping because, is gun. Yes, that's that's why you have to read the rundown. I am reading it. Writes. No, so listen, I thought you were going to say that nice uptrend that we saw in crude oil, because this oh, is the lead-in. This is the lead-in to consumer discretionary here. I apologize. So we've been talking about this thing last week, Carter. We, you know, listen, we, we know the supply demand dynamics. We know there's lots of tape bombs as it relates to embargoes of Russian oil and that sort of thing. And we know that a lot of the issues that are still impacting lockdowns in China have a lot to do with demand for crude oil here. But look at this thing, man. It, it really held that uptrend over the last, let's say, since the start of April. Um, and now it looks like it wants to break out. Carter, quick thoughts on the crude chart and might we see a move back to those kind of like, I don't know, that was like a blow off top that we saw in sure. early March. Is that in the cards here? Yeah. So the, if you look out to Christmas crude 23, right, which um, in many ways speaks to the curve in crude where we are now here at 112 versus what, 85, looking out 18 months. Uh, I think the important thing is, and my conclusion is this, that that spike high, that you see there on the screen, we went from 90 to 130 in seven sessions, mm -hmm. that that is going to stand, that we're not going to exceed that. And that, in fact, we had a bell of sorts and we know what happened. If prominent, it's not their fault. We've all been that guy a million times. Someone came out and said it's going to hit 185 to 95 a barrel. Now, we have an analog for that. In 2008, Goldman did the same thing. They said $200 a barrel. And within six months, it was 45 they changed yeah. their mind. This well, time it's a prominent bank. It's JP Morgan. These are the great names. And I just think that when you start to extrapolate something that went parabolic, they were doing with lumber, people with nickel. Yeah. Commodities are mean reverting. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Guy. I mean, listen, you, you've been talking about the potential for that sort of move since we were in the, I, I think it was like the, the low 70s back there in December. And we did have it. I know you definitely pulled off that, that you're, you're not a fan of manias and that blow off top in early March felt like that. The chart is constructive. And not only that, the stocks act really well, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the XLE, you know, that's one thing, Carter. And I know you look at these relationships all the time. The XLE looks like it's a breakout to a multi-year high. So near term, it, it's kind of hard to fade it, but I guess you're, what you're saying, and Guy, I'm curious on your take, if you did see a precipitous move based on some sort of macro headline or something like that, you probably want to sell into that as we got near those March highs. Fair. I'll say this. I think crude could flatline here for the next month, month and a half, and I still think a lot of these energy names are probably anywhere from 20 to 25% too cheap, just in terms of valuations and where they are uh, vis-a-vis the, the underlying commodity. They just haven't caught up yet. That's just my opinion. Some people share it, some people don't. I think it's pretty heroic how crude made that low right to the uptrend line, bounced off it, and here we are again. And I do think a lot of this move lower has been sort of predicated on China completely shutting down. Now, if they were to reopen for whatever reason, I think that might become the tail when the crude needs, yeah. maybe not to get to that 130 level, but certainly get into the high teens, low 20s in the with a one in front of it, Dan. Well, I think that's why, you know, it's caught a bid today. Shanghai, they're talking about like reopening at some point um, in early June. All right, Carter, talk to us here because you did some great work on worth charting this morning. It was one of the first things that I read. We're going to figure out how someone else can get that into their inbox if they're not already at the end of the segment here. But talk to us about consumer discretionary versus, okay, consumer staples we know that staples have acted very well in this volatile period of flight to safety if you will and we knew that consumer discretionary been a bit of the epicenter especially when you consider some of the names that make up a large part of that group talk to us about the relationship between the two of them right so obviously they both have the first word in, in common right consumer but the idea is that they're very different one is uh, staples which is something you use up and you have to buy more of soap and cereal and tobacco and so forth and so on and, and uh, baking soda, and the other is discretionary, meaning you don't have to buy Harley-Davidson and you don't have to sleep in a Marriott hotel. Obvious. Okay. Um, and one is very defensive, lower beta, staples. One is very aggressive, right? Risk on, risk off. And sometimes their relationship gets so stretched one way or the other that I, well, I know, yes, that it's right to play for mean reversion. Now, timing is hard. It's my thinking the timing is now. Let's look at a few charts. So this is simply a ratio chart. It's, it's, it's often tough to help, help for me to get my mind around it. When you're looking at a stock, we're looking at an ETF, what do you mean a ratio? And all it is is taking one thing divided by another and plotting it as a line. And so this is the performance of the consumer discretionary sector to the consumer staple sector. And obviously you see the wipeout, it's, it's, it's in free fall. Now look at the next chart and what we're trying to do here, and you can see the percentage, how far below trend are we? Well, we're 25% below the 150 moving average. Compare that to the COVID low at only 17. Not to say that that's only, but we're more severe in terms of the stretching over the relationship than we were then. Let's do a longer term chart, no annotations. That's the 09 low financial crisis. And now let's put in the drawdowns. And what you can see here is that the current spread just simply how far above or below the ratio is to the 100 moving average, this is in the order of magnitude of the financial crisis low. 
Carter, so, I'm no genius, but I look at that and say there's an uptrend line to be drawn from that 09 low, and I guarantee that you brought with us, brought with you another you chart see, that illustrates you exactly eyes, you that. You do not have to go to the ophthalmologist this week. You're all set. Now, look, let's leave that trend line. And look at that. Now, at some point, even even you see in the in the in the sort of 0708 period, even though it might go much lower, it's about here and now. Can we tactically? play this for a bounce, which is essentially getting long XLY and short XLP. However, what about this? Look at this table that we have here. This is the first pushback one could give, but in anticipation of that, we included the table, which is to say, you're saying that you want to make a bet on Amazon, Tesla, McDonald's, and Home Depot, which are the top four stocks at 50% weight of the XLY versus Procter, Coke, Pepsi, and Costco, which essentially the same weighting. Let's adjust for that. There's a way to do it. It's called equal weight. Each ETF has about 60, 70 names. What if we gave them all the same weight? Now let's look at the next set of charts. So we've eliminated the problem or solved for the problem that Amazon and Tesla are big and that Coke and Procter are big. So if you look at this chart, this is taking the equal weight ratio. So it's taking the consumer discretionary sector all 60 names and giving them each equal weight. So no longer does Amazon have the big weighting or Tesla. Same weighting as a uh, Urban Outfitters, if you will, or whatever smallest footlocker. And here too, it's not about whether you think that this could get much worse. Maybe it gets much worse. It's about, does it mean revert from here? And if you look at the crisis, right, back in 06, 07, 08, 09, we, even when we went, got worse, we always had mean reversion. So let's put in the percentages. And what you see here is we are looking at a very extreme reading. And tactically, I think you simply put on XLY long, XLP short. But the point of showing you the equal weight is that we've now eliminated someone saying or anyone thinking, wait a minute, that's just betting on uh, you know Amazon and Tesla bouncing mm -hmm. versus Coke and Pepsi. Even the equal weight tells the same story. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think as a pair, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just so you know, I have a bearish position on the XLP, the consumer staples on an outright basis here. One of my apprehensions, Carter, about the XLY is that fat uh, percentage of Tesla, because to me, even though Tesla's down 30%, it's down 6% on the day, it's down 30 on the year, I think that stock goes below 600 and possibly lower over the next few months. And so that's one of the, I guess those are the risks of owning those sorts of ETFs or, or sure. just, you know, with, with the disproportional weight in them. But I do like the idea as a pairs trade and I like the concept, which kind of brings us to two stocks that are reporting tomorrow before the opening. And I'd love to get, um, you know, your take, Guy Adami from a fundamental standpoint, we have a couple of charts that Carter brought with us too, but Walmart, which is clearly a staple, if you think of it, it isn't a consumer staple ETF. And then we have also Home Depot, which is considered um, a discretionary name. It's in that. And they both report tomorrow morning before the opening. Well, we got a big week of, of uh, retail earnings. I think it's going to be really telling. On Wednesday, we have TJ Maxx and Target and Lowe's and then Ross stores on Thursday. And TJ was interesting to me. It's filling in that gap from COVID. And I just think about, you know, Home Depot down from 400 to 300. Walmart was acting very well in its kind of staple status, but it's kind of pulled back in above those 52-week highs. I think we're going to learn a lot about the consumer over the next couple of trading days as we get these earnings. Guys, what, guy, what's your take? I know you liked Walmart for a breakout last month. We had it. It failed. It came back in. Thoughts? 
I think valuation caught up to Walmart is my sense because other than that, I really don't see any reason why it sold off the way it did. I think it came down to people said, wait a second, this is at a huge run to the upside. Valuation doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think what wound up happening in Walmart is people paired out of Walmart and got into Target. That's just my sense. And I actually think it's going to hold here. Number one, Home Depot quickly, number two, and this is just my take. At this valuation, you haven't seen a Home Depot trade basically a market multiple now, trading about 17 and a half, 18 times next year's numbers in quite some time. So the reason why everybody hated Home Depot the last few years has been on valuation. You can't make that same argument now. What you can say is the re- the consumer is tapped. They no longer can get in their homes for equity lines of credit and those types of things, which is going to have a drag clearly on Home Depot. I just don't think you're going to see it in this quarter. So I'd actually be playing both for a bounce, Dan. All right, fair enough. Um, applied move in Walmart in either direction, about 4% tomorrow. And then with Home Depot, about 5.5%. Carter, talk to me on Walmart on the technical setup here because, you know, Guy just said valuation kind of caught up to it. I know you don't really care. The stock trades about 22 times. That seems about in line with most consumer staples expected to have kind of mid to high single digits earnings growth, lower sales growth here. The question is, is with, you know, margins, with, with, with inflation, do they benefit from food inflation? Do they not? Your guess is a good mine, about 20 and a half times next year. What's your take on the setup here? Because I know that you listen to, uh, you look at the 150 day, the 200 days down there at 145. Looks like a pretty, pretty decent level here, if you don't mind valuation. Yeah. So remember, moving averages are only useful if you're in uptrend or downtrend. Right? Yeah. So when you're trending in a big downtrend or uptrend, you use a moving average to measure the trend. If you're treadless, you don't use a trend line. Yeah. So the moving average, even though I included here, has no bearing, not relevant. What we do know is it did make that slight new high. So officially quote broke out and now has given back exactly 50% of the move from the lows of sort of March and basically into support. So the question is, does it find support? I would say it's a small long. It's an unexciting, but small long. All right, and let's look at Home Depot here. Again, you know, 400 to 300 felt like in a straight line. It did go up from 300 to 400 in a straight line. So I guess, you know, um, gravity is, uh, is, is alive and well in the stock market. What's your take here? Because without, I'll just kind of tease it a little bit. I, I see something, I haven't had a chance to read it yet in my inbox from worth charting. You got a note on the home builders. And I have to assume that maybe there's some connection here with your thoughts on Home Depot into the print and lows later this week. Well, it's interesting. They home builders, Sherwin William acts very well. Uh, Masco, for instance. I guess, what do we know? We know we have a trend. We know we have a break in trend. Not only did it break, it broke with authority, right? It dropped and gapped, earnings related. And so then, do you catch the falling knife? Uh, do you make the, at the end of the day? There's no technical reason per se, other than it's down 33 percent from its high, and. While I haven't run the numbers or done the studies, I'll bet you if one did or does, you can do it. Anytime you get this marquee asset, this premier equity down 33% and you could hold it for three to five years, you make money. And so, small all. All right. Well, listen, I'll just say this. Um, I, I appreciate all of your work. I'm really looking forward to read your note on the home builders that is in my inbox. I think it came out right before we did market call. But real quickly, Carter, where can people find your work? We know that you speak to some of the largest financial institutions in the world and money management firms, but you also now at Worth Charting have a product for everyday investors like Guy and me who want to read your takes on a daily basis. Where can they get it? Uh, that's right. It's worthcharting.com. So we continue our institutional effort. Uh, 
the biggest mutual funds, hedge funds, pension plans, endowments, family offices in the world. Uh, but we also now have something for individuals who want to join Worth Charting. His level of badassery knows no limits, Dan Nathan. Carter Worth, you are the man. I Thanks, love the, the tie, you know, slightly askew on this Monday. By the way, some thunder boomers in the background. I don't know if you heard that thunder, Dan. Speaking of thunder, Ben Bernanke's been in the news lately, Dan Nathan. And Carl Keatonia actually tweeted something out about said Bitcoin, which I know you follow extraordinarily closely. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is interesting. There was a quote um, that Carl did tweet from Bernanke. He is the former Fed chair. One of your probably favorite Fed chairs guy, if we were kind of picking no, sides here. Actually, no. no. He's, I mean, actually, he's number one on the list of reprehensible oh, characters. Oh, okay. I meant like the, the, mo- the, the one long, that you- And the list, by the way, is long and distinguished for you Top Gun I, I meant the one that you love to hate the most. That's what I meant, guy. Come on, stay with me here. But he was saying uh, about Bitcoin, it's a speculative asset, but it's- one, that whose underlying use value, gold has underlying use value. You could use it to fill cavities. The underlying use value of Bitcoin is to do ransomware or something like that. So this is, you know, that meme guy, that old man yells at cloud, you know, that one, you know what I mean? Like that's what's going on here. And it's really easy to punch down right now at crypto because the whole space seems a bit buggy. There's been, you know, um, I mean, no shortage of kind of debacles from DeFi to stable coins to, you know, valuations and, and NFTs and, and volumes just coming down dramatically. And then obviously just the market cap of all the major coins coming in pretty hard. You know, this one is really interesting. I think you've made the case on, on, on many occasions that it is now a macro asset given the size in which it is and the money that's flowed into it. So you got to keep a good eye on it. We do it from a sentiment standpoint here. Here's the five-year chart going back to that retail frenzy in 2017. 20,000 was the breakout in late 2020, and we saw what happened. It doubled, and then it almost doubled again. And here we are, down 55% or so. It's flirting with that kind of 30,000 level. There's an air pocket down to 20. It seems like that's almost a foregone conclusion. Guy, what's your take right here? Because Ethereum, again, is also at those kind of lows. Um, And then there's, you know, again, there's another, I don't know what you want to call it, a third. 40% air pocket um, below that. Your take quickly on crypto and just all the news stories that you're reading about all these different things that are built on it. There, it seems like everything that can go wrong is going wrong right now in crypto. That's exactly right. And listen, Carter's work suggested weeks ago, we literally weeks ago and, and thousands of dollars ago that Bitcoin yeah. would trade down to 25,000. And lo and behold, <clears throat> it's pretty much where it got down to. So my two cents, if I were to add something here, You've taken all the body blows you could possibly take over the last couple of weeks in terms of Bitcoin. Um, my sense is that will abate and maybe you'll see a bit of a rally here back to the low 30s, you know, 34, 35,000. And we'll see what happens. I do think we're still going to be mired in this range for the foreseeable future. But I think that moved down to 25 and changed 26 last week, probably exhausted the shorts or the people getting out of longs, number one. But You know, Ethereum is the one that you've talked about for a while, and I think that's the one that you really want to sort of continue to pick away at. And maybe that's a little more interesting because a lot of people think, you know, in terms of use, 
this is the one that's going to emerge victorious. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you think about, I mean, I think there's a lot of applications that um, like in, in, even in the NFT space that are just such early stages. And I know that some of the bigger projects with big valuations got a lot of attention, but I think the use cases are going to go well beyond just kind of coveted digital art. So we'll see. I mean, I, you know, I was a buyer late last week. I had not bought Ethereum in a very long time. I also bought some Solana at these levels. I'm prepared to buy it lower. I think it probably does go lower. Lastly, before we get out of here, guy, let's talk about gold because Bernanke in his tweet or in his quote he just mentioned it you can fill cavities with it i'm sure you would take his advice for uh, orthodontia the way you have for managing your money um over the years here what's your take on gold it right it's right up against that uptrend line that we've been kind of spying for a while here saying really has to hold here and let me ask you this if it breaks below that guy is it signaling that maybe inflation expectations have in fact peaked I don't think it's quite, I mean, that's the right question in terms of what is its signal in terms of inflation. I don't think it's got anything to do with inflation anymore. I think it's completely decoupled from inflation, inflation concerns, because, you know, if gold were truly an inflation hedge, this thing would have been well north of 3,000 when we had sort of those peak levels of CPI. It didn't happen. So I'm not quite sure what's going on, but where does it have to hold this trend line exactly? What happens if we break this trend line? I'll tell you exactly what happens. We trade down to where the trend line started and people will once again say what was i thinking getting into gold me being one of them people will once again come guy um i saw what you did there buddy all right listen this was a really fun market call here we laughed we cried we got to chart with carter braxton worth we heard your dogs in the background we heard yeah. your takes on the. you know hey, listen, why my dogs are barking they typically why? don't bark i will tell you there's some serious storms coming from the west that would be pennsylvania headed yeah. this way so the thunder that they hear is alarming to them. Sorry, Dan. Well, it's raining here, guy, in New York City. And you also have that old 80-year-old knee of yours that tells you when a storm's coming, too. So you got that going for you, which is nice. <laughs> My knees are just fine. Thank you. Actually, you know, if I do say so myself, I have actually a decent pair of legs. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but that was today's market call. I want to thank Carter Worth, the Ty Askew Carter Worth, the debonairishly handsome Carter Worth, for joining us this Monday. And I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, and thank you for Open Exchange for powering this entire thing. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. I can guarantee a lot of things. I'll guarantee this. The market won't be where it currently is when we talk to you then. Hasta la vista, Dan. See you, bud. Bye.